in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. In large sections of the Gospel, the Lord explains the full meaning of the Mosaic Law. And the other day we saw in St. Matthew the Lord explaining the full extent and this is often prefaced by saying, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. And that I say to you is the fullness of the law. And so he said, you've heard that it was said, you must love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. In this way, you will be sons of your father in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on bad as well as good, and his reign to fall on honest and dishonest men alike. For if you love those who love you, what right have you to claim any credit? Even tax collectors do as much, do they not? And if you save your greetings for your brothers, are you doing anything exceptional? Even the pagans do as much, do they not? You must therefore be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So the Lord uh, brings to perfection the Mosaic Law that the people of Israel had received in the desert. And he's bringing it now to perfection. And he need, it needed to be transmitted to the people in a kind of an inclined plane. Something so precious cannot be thrown down so rapidly. It needs to be progressively learnt. They needed time and thought, generations to assimilate the fullness of the commandment of charity, the fullness of what it really means to love one another. When he said eye for an eye in the old, in the old law, well, even that was an improvement on the prevailing culture. Then if somebody hurt you in the eye, the, the, often the response was, you hurt my eye, I destroy your entire village. And so the Mosaic Law brought a little bit of uh, you know, limitations to these, to these wars of vengeance that were part of the ancient world. So Lord, you, you really want to raise the tone now and increase our capacity to love the others, increase the beauty of our fraternity. Never to see anyone as a competitor or as a rival. You don't want this kind of competition for us, neither in the professional world nor in the academic world, certainly not in the center or in the family. And that's what we want to reflect on, how that commandment of love can really be fine-tuned in our life. And perhaps um, that commandment of love can best be explained, of course, through the ideal of friendship. That's how love can ultimately best be explained. 
to have friendship in our life is a beautiful ideal because it is a way of loving others and indeed even pagans do that but how can our way of having friendships differ how can it grow how can it be like more purified you know when when we see people with a lot of friends they have a lot of contacts maybe they go out often because they have friends probably we feel a certain envy at that we might think how oh, I would like to have so many friends and we think about how does that come about that a person has lots of friends well it probably has fairly little to do with I don't know networking or handing out business cards or liking people's Instagram posts or you know there is a much simpler solution to having lots of friends or let's say a secret that is quite simple it is just to love the others just love people we make friends we get a build up of friends if we really love the people that we are with and the answer to us loving others through words through gestures through things we do the answer is almost always a deep and abiding friendship no matter who they are no matter what they believe they don't have to believe exactly the same things we do but they can still be our friends ultimately we understand that to love others is not all that complicated love of friendship is a way of loving where ultimately we really seek the good of others and exclusively we seek the good of others without any other purpose in the, in the back of our head or any other finality is not just in order to network so i have contacts so that i can go here or there that's why we have to be focused on being the kind of person who knows how to love let's go to another example in the scriptures it's the account of the centurion the lord had been speaking and a number of jews came to him the elders of the jews and told our lord about this centurion whose servant was ill and this is what they say to him this is what uh, st luke tells us when they came to jesus they pleaded with him earnestly saying he is worthy to have you do this for him for he loves our nation and he is the one who built us our synagogue and so jesus went with them he said okay let's go and when he was not far from the house other servants came and said it's okay our master says do not trouble yourself for i am not worthy that you enter under my roof which we use now for the holy eucharist of course and there the lord says uh, some marvelous words he says he marveled at him and turned to the crowd that followed him he said i tell you not even in israel have i found such faith and when the servants went home well that that servant was healed he was well that centurion you know they say you know he loves our nation he's a good guy well that's that's what i think that centurion was he was a good guy he did many things for them and even though he was not one of them in principle 
I guess he didn't. He wasn't a believer among the Jews, but he built their synagogue. He did good things. He was a good guy. He was kind of like a non-Catholic cooperator, right? He was like, you know, we have non-Catholic cooperators, and they love us somehow. That's a beautiful phrase. He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation. <coughs> he loves our nation, and he is the one who built our synagogue. See, love brings with it correspondence. He loves our nation, and he built the synagogue. He did things. And if you see the good things that someone does to you, somebody does something, well, you want to do something for them. Just like these Jews wanted to do something for the centurion. They told him about Jesus when they saw his servant was ill, when he needed somebody to help him. He had men underneath him and stuff. But he'd already done lots of good things. Had he never done that, had he just lived on his own, had he mistreated them, they would never have told him about Jesus. And, of course, it's not enough simply to consider that he's a nice guy, a good guy. He has good actions. And it's always evident that when we meet somebody like that, we feel that we're lucky. We're lucky to have someone like this. We're lucky to have a good cooperator, somebody who's kind. And we always want to return the action. We want to do something in return. And Jesus expresses wonder at this man's faith. Jesus corresponds to this goodness by by loving him and giving him affection and by healing his servant. That's sincere friendship that he expressed by, by going to heal that servant. And it is an example of ultimately of how our friendship should be. If we correspond like this to the people that we encounter, if we show affection and love, well, it'll be easy for us uh, to forge very solid bonds. We will have French friends that we'll keep for a long time. Now, think of five of your friends right now in your prayer. Think of five people that are your friends. I mean, this can change with time, but uh, maybe it's hard to choose them. You're saying, oh, this one's my friend. Well, no, well, yeah, mm, okay, maybe you're having a trouble. Well, ask, okay, you've got five names there, more or less. Okay, when was the last time you wrote them a WhatsApp? or an email, or call them. Probably, if they're on that list, it was not like last year. Right? It was probably very recently that you had some kind of contact with them, that you had some kind of detail of affection. Well, if they're on that list, what details of affection did you have? Did you pray for them? Did you call them recently? Did you do some service for them? Did you send them what they may have asked for? Maybe it was a document. Maybe it was a, they asked for a phone number or contact or something. And, well, if you did all those things, it's likely that you have a good friendship. Yet at the same time, we know that friendships, generally speaking, complicate our life. They make our life a little bit more difficult or at least complicated. Because we have to, in some way there, give something of our own. But it is a good complication, it's a worthwhile complication, and it is never superfluous. Because it involves, somewhere along the line, a gift of ourselves. 
there was an article I read, a beautiful article in Spanish that had a beautiful title, which was Vivir para los demás, right? to live for others. And life should not always be just peaceful and tranquil. Pope Francis has spoken rather, rather severely about certain priests, for example, that are overly zealous about their day off, that they want time for themselves. They want to get people out of their hair. You go to the rectory and it says office hours between nine o'clock and nine thirty or whatever. No, but well, that's exaggerated. But you know they have very limited, and that outside of that you can't go and talk to them. Hmm? He doesn't like that. He wants us to be available. He wants us to give. I listened to an interview recently with a Swiss philosopher, Fabrice Hajaj. He is of Jewish background, who converted to Catholicism, now has a large family, and. He, he speaks about our culture, our contemporary culture, as, as a kind of a cult of the emotions. Le culte de l'émotion, he calls it. And the result is a society that, is, that has increased its attachment to comfort. And he says the result is that we kind of forget about the tragic nature of life that life is difficult and complicated and, as he says, sometimes tragic. And this new vision, this kind of life of comfort, is, is a kind of, of a pathology that believes that you have to live always sheltered from any dramas. You have to live well. You have to be in a nice apartment right, with uh, these trendy feng shui apartments that are like really trendy, you know, you got one large room and you got the kitchen here and it's all in these kind of like, you know, made over factories that are, that are, you know, cars cost an arm and a leg. And there's this uh, sort of corresponding fear of, of children, of having children, because of the responsibility that it brings with it to have children. So, so the rationale in these people, in, in this society, very, very broadly speaking, of course, is that they love children, but they will, because of their love for children, will not have children, because life has just become too difficult. We don't want to place a child into this complicated and, and difficult world. So they don't have children because of that. It's the same reason why some people will have an abortion. They don't want to bring a child into this world. Rather than seeing a child be born and perhaps suffer, it is better not to have any at all. And there's a little, there's, there's literally a panic in front of the possibility that a child might suffer. And so, better not to have any at all. So then, well, as a result, they become more concerned about the suffering of animals. They donate a lot of money to PETA, you know, the, the PETA or... <laughs> the Society for Protection of Animals, and uh, they get their pets, they live in small places, but there's no place for a spouse, no place for children, but yes, there is a place for an emotional uh, support animal that has a tag and a funny name. Ultimately, we know that life has its tragedy because we all must die. But 
we, we can't just stay sterile here with ourselves, our comforts, our phone. Really, when we embark upon life, it's, it's like an adventure of pain, an adventure of mortality, a certain adventure of tragedy. You know, if in our world we were never to experience suffering, we were never to be vulnerable in some way, well then, if we protected ourselves from all that all the time, well, we might as well just be a rock, be a rock, be a pebble. You know. And uh, it's like life might just as well not begin. And, and this can kind of happen to us with regards to our friends. We'd rather be like a pebble, you know, that, that nobody, you know, that just sits there and doesn't do much. And we have to really be rather full of concerns, even anxieties and joys for our friends. We have to take on the weight of our friends as our own so that our head is filled with their problems. Okay? Our father, St. Josemaria, would speak about the weight of souls. You know, he would come out of Mass literally exhausted and tired because the patent that he put the Blessed Sacrament on, that he offered to God, weighed so much with souls, with deaths, with family situations, with students, with an uneasy future, you know, or couples going through crisis or illness or the apostolate and this is he took it with him and he was concerned and he and it weighed him down today I, I celebrated mass there at the Hawthorne and they placed the computer there so that people connected to the computer could follow the mass and I had been asked to offer the mass for their son and this was just one couple and their son had passed away rather suddenly, rather tragically. And there they were carrying that weight. But it's as though now that weight was being transferred to the altar as the Mass was being offered for their son. And they were watching it from the computer. I don't know exactly where they were, but, uh, you know, and, and there was a sense of connection there that was quite uh, powerful. And for us... Nobody should be indifferent to us. Nobody that we meet. We have to somehow meet people in such a way that they always take away something of our own. If only a gesture, if only a th an act of thanksgiving, if only an affectionate word, they take that home. They go home on the subway and they, they're still kind of imbued by that gentle, kind word that we had with them. That's what they take away from us. That's what people take away from us. Like that story of the, of the village fountain. In every, every village or small town, there's always a, a, a central fountain where people, ladies and children would go and they would fill their buckets at this, at this fountain and go away with this clean water and get refreshed. Like in the Bible, there's lots of stories of the well, right? Uh, with Jacob and our Lord at the well with the Samaritan woman. And, you know, the water's pouring out there, gushing out of that well, and it attracts a lot of people, and they take away the refreshment of that water. But if you ever go when the, when the, when the fountain is turned off, it's just 
dry and dusty and there's a stray dog wandering about and there's nobody there. Nobody wants to go to a dry fountain. We cannot be a dry fountain. That Nobody wants to go to a dry fountain. Well, what's the point? You, know? you might as well sit in your backyard, right? We have to be like that water fountain. Alive and gushing forth. And that's how our Lord himself behaved. That's how we should behave. Nobody passed by our Lord uh, without having a deep impression uh, you know, of having been deeply impacted by him. That they understood that they had met, met something that was going to be important for their life. And we too, when we meet someone, even if it's for the first time, we have to think, okay, this person probably wants to tell me something that concerns them, that, that is of concern for them. I have to like open my doors or... Or we can say, how fun it would be with, to be with this person. Mm-hmm. To go out on, on a walk or, I don't know, anything. You know? Or, you know, how, how well this person is handling this hardship, this difficulty, this cross that they may be undergoing. These are all things that we could say to ourselves. Or we could see their virtues, their qualities. They have an impact on us. Now, obviously... The people we encounter will always have defects as well, or limitations, certainly defects, vices. But if we evaluate people exclusively by their defects, and we take a kind of rigorous account of all their mistakes and all their miseries, we could end up transforming a really lovely person into a shadow of themselves. They would suddenly become a kind of a Darth Vader, right, with the with some sort of, a kind of monster, you know, that breathes heavily and I don't know what percentage of Darth Vader was actually still his human self, but, you know, his arms were not his, his legs were not his, his, uh, who knows what else, you know, maybe his breathing was even his, you know, the way he breathed, you know. But, but remember when Luke Skywalker saw Darth Vader and he knew it was his father and he said, uh, he said, I know. There is good in you, Father. I see the conflict within. So even a horrible figure like Darth Vader, he could see the good in him. He says, I sense there's good in you. And we have to sense the good. Not just the evil, or the bad things, or or the defects. We cannot allow anyone who passes by us that they should not take something of ours with them. They should never go away from us empty-handed, in other words. If only a smile, a simple thanks, a courteous politeness, if you want. And this has to come out spontaneously out of our heart. And as we think of this, we realize, as we think of those friends and stuff, that we can always love others more. More. Probably, if we go over all those places in which we live and work and and anything we do in the way you work, there's probably all areas in which you can improve, improve a little bit. You can love a bit better. Or you can improve your relations with others. Not, not just, you know, smile, but just really make life more agreeable to those who live with us. That they like to talk to you. That they that you become pleasant. How can, I, how can I do that? How can I really take care of others? Maybe you, you think the question is already answered. 
Yes, but but not completely. I mean, how that in front of that question, how can I love better? Well, the first question is to see who are really my friends and how are my relations with those friends. So you have that list of friends. So, okay, this one, is it good, bad, or just, yeah, regular, average? You know, my, my relation with them. Like if it's good, okay, it could be better. If it's bad, it should be good. If it's average, it should be, well, I guess also good. In other words, all friendships have a margin of improvement. You know, a friend is someone we see, that we speak about frequently. We know all the events of their life. We know about the joyful events, the sorrowful ones that they have to go through. You know, if your friend, uh, I don't know, has a job interview or an exam or something, uh, the logical thing is that we ask them, how did it go? You know, how did the exam go? Or, and we demonstrate affection. We dem demonstrate appreciation for them. But if, you, if it's been a long time since you've seen them or spoken to them, you've let a lot of time go by, naturally, we'll have missed those events in their life. We will not have been there for those key events. We will not be able to share with them. So we can call, we can write, we can text, you know, when those events take place. That's sort of the, the forging of friendship that has to take place in our life so that we are really giving and, and that we're always improving in this it's like an art that we're always improving it's ultimately the art of love that's why the father wrote us a letter you know, he's written us a number of long letters on, on the vocation on fidelity on the results of the congress and he wrote one on friendship in November 2019 he says something very beautiful he says Friendship is especially valuable for that necessary sign of charity, which is understanding others. And he quotes from our father here, true friendship also means asking, no, true friendship also means making a heartfelt effort to understand the convictions of our friends, even though we may never come to share them or accept them understand even though we don't accept them the father says thus our friends help us to understand ways of viewing life that are different from our own and that enrich our inner world and when the friendship is deep that enable us to experience the world in a different way this is in the end a true sharing in others sentiments which is sharing in their life and in their experiences. That's a, that's a simple but rich phrase. True sharing in others' sentiments, which is sharing in their life and their experiences. Do I share in their sentiments? In their feelings, let's say? Sometimes we just ask somebody a very simple question. Like, we see them, we say, hey, how's it going? It's a very simple question. Or, how's it going? Or, how you doing? How's life? Naturally, these are questions we don't really think about when we ask them. They're maybe there to kind of break the ice, if you like. But they can also have much richer contents. Mm -hmm. There's something much more profound that we seek to share with them or learn from them. If you like to take on the sentiments that 
occupy that person. Just the next time you say, how's it going? What does that phrase really mean other than breaking the ice? Because to feel with them, to share those sentiments, as the Father says, is really also to suffer or to rejoice with a friend, which leads us to celebrate their, their choice or to suffer with them in pain. It's part of the tragedy of life that we have to experience that tragedy. Have I accompanied anybody recently in their pain, in their sorrow? Naturally, we ask our Blessed Mother to help us in this, Our Lady of Sorrows, who shared in the sorrow of our Lord on the cross, more than anyone she shared that, she will intercede for us so that all our friendships really do move ahead and and truly grow. It will be a way of living the commandment of love. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you all to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me.